Join me, Professor RPG, as I sit down with friends, colleagues, and special guests as we reminisce and discuss role-playing games that left their mark on us. Expect to see all sorts, from Western style to Japanese and even tabletop. So stay a while and listen, and let us trigger those memories of tales long since completed. Relive that fantasy you hold dear, and come along with us, adventurer, on this quest into the past. Welcome to the RPG University. Good evening, merry folk. I am Winifred, the, the goblin bardlock motivator, although we, we aren't totally sure if I'm a goblin or not. M- my mama's a human and, and an elf. They sought out the help of our patron, an archfey named Grandmother, to have a baby of their own. Uh, they got me. Now we, we always say to never look a gift baby in the mouth because of the fangs. They expected me to have a traditional goblin lifespan, but here I am at 30 and I'm still mostly a kid. So I I, I guess I got the elf genes from Mama somehow. Uh, Anyways, I like to adventure now with my friends. I'm not the best at fighting, although I did rip a rug of smothering to pieces one time with my gnarly bite. Lately, Grandmother has been teaching me a little bit of the goblin language. Uh, I use it for casting spells now. She's also asking me to do really wild favors for her lately, such as helping her collect a few souls. I'm not sure what that means, but I'll do anything for Grandmother. Class is in session, and today we're talking about the world of professional dungeon mastering. As always, I'm your host, Scott White, also known as Professor RPG, and this week I have the pleasure of welcoming to the university professional dungeon master, streamer, and author of the recently released gender-bent Curse of Straw book. She is the ancient Beth the Bard. How's it going, Beth? Hello! Uh, it's going really good. Um, like, really good. Like, I, <laughs> I, we did this whole book launch this past week, and I was expecting maybe like my closest three friends or family members to buy it. And now it's like, by the time we're done with this, it will be an Electrum bestseller. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Really good. I've checked, I've checked it out. It is so cool. And the fact that you were able to put this all together while also working and doing everything. And so incredibly impressive. So impressive, but but yes, we are here to talk about professional dungeon mastering, which you are quite familiar with. But first, before we even dive into that, I just want to know, kind of like, Beth, what's your kind of background with the hobby in general? Like, when did you dive into dice rolling? Like, uh, what's your... Not as long ago as... <laughs> I feel like a lot of people in the community are like, I've done this for 85 years and counting and... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, not me. No, it's only been a few years, actually. <laughs> Um, I think I I first, well, I heard about it when I was a kid, but I wasn't allowed it. Just like I wasn't allowed Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh because they were the devil. Um, oh yeah. (laughs) The old devil claws. God, a man. Get you every time. 
and also, yeah, when I was a kid too, even, you know, cause I would sneak like my Yu-Gi-Oh at school and stuff and I wanted to try this whole D and D thing, but it was also like, you know, the boys and they're like, no, nah, you're a girl you're not allowed. I was like, okay, I didn't want to be with you anyways. Um, so then I heard about it again, uh, during the big bang theory, like a bazillion mm-hmm. years ago and was like, what? You could almost say a bazinga, a <laughs> uh, bazinga years ago. Yes. And I was like, this isn't just like a secret devil thing. This is also <laughs> a nerd thing. I want to, I want to. And then I forgot about it. Uh, until Stranger Things. And as soon as I saw it again, mm-hmm. that was the day I went out and bought the starter kit at Target. Um, okay. <laughs> and I sat down thinking it would be like Monopoly, right? And I'm like, okay, if we just sit down and open the box. We can just jump into it and learn it as we go. <laughs> no. Uh, to be that youthful and innocent. Oh, right. Oh, Simpler times. God, no, no. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it took me six months to figure it out after buying the kit. That's a pretty good turnaround. Not going to lie. Like, honestly, <laughs> a lot of my friends and even I took me far longer than six months to have any idea of what the hell was going on. So I no I, idea. Oh, my. I was like, what in the world is a D8? Like, what? Is, what is this? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> but here I am. So I guess I did figure it out. OK, perfect. Or at least, you know, D&D is one of the and really tabletop games in general are perfect for the fake it till you make it thing. It's all about <laughs> how you present yourself and knowing or at least sounding like, you know, what the hell's going on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Especially like from a dungeon master perspective, as long as you sound like you totally meant that or you've come up with those names of the characters you totally just pulled out of your butt, you're good to go. You'll be impressing yes, that everybody. Yes, name is definitely, they are Robert Robertson. That is oh, yeah. That was planned ahead of time and... <laughs> uh, I've had I've yeah. had a player be like, that's not how that rule works. And I'm like, that's a house rule. Uh, that, like I just made it up two that, seconds ago. That's an <laughs> earthling rule. We're in a fantasy realm right now. So that doesn't apply. I'm a big fan of the city guard Nigel Hornberry. Uh, that's one of my personal favorite uh, come up with names myself. That sounds like you actually planned it ahead of time or used a generator. Like that sounds good. I just I really like the wild thornberries growing up. And uh, <laughs> it was right around the time that Nickelodeon All-Star game got announced, like the Smash Brothers Nickelodeon thing with Nigel in it. So my head was just like, Nigel uh, Hornberry, because that's a funny take uh, on the name. Smashing. Smashing. <laughs> uh, so having watched Stranger Things and Big Bang Theory, were you kind of drawn more towards the pl- the player side of things, or were you... Even from the get-go, more of a, I want to run a game. Oh, oh, that's a good question. Well, when I first got the kit, I didn't realize that somebody had to run it and Mm -hmm. somebody, like the other people, played it. For some reason, I thought it was everybody sat around and just did it together. Um, So what pulled me in was I was like, uh, I... So I was a theater kid, as I feel many, many D&D players were at one point. True, true. Uh, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, my gosh, I want to, like, do the the voices and mm-hmm. get into character and dress up and all that. And then when I found out that somebody has to run the game, I was immediately invested. I'm like, that is my job. I am taking that. Nobody else gets to touch it. And I have been a forever DM ever since. And I'm 
perfectly happy in that role. I do play when I get the chance, especially for like charity games Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But I prefer running. I yeah, 100 percent. Very cool. And obviously, like we touched upon earlier, you also like to adapt things with your she's the ancient gender bend of Strahd. Do you like to when you play games are more of your games module based or have you created like a world or a realm that most like you you take your players to? I'm honestly not interested in world building myself. Okay. That doesn't spark joy for me. I really love uh I don't necessarily have to run modules, but if I read a book that I got really excited about, I'll take all of the world and concepts from that book and I'll kind of homebrew a D&D session from it. Mm-hmm. But it's still taking something that somebody else put together uh, and and riffing off of that. So I, I thoroughly enjoy modules that are already there. I like to have a box to work within mm-hmm. because... Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's like my perfectionism, my ADHD. I don't know what it is, but the idea of having to do it all from scratch myself, like the anxiety, I just there's no way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not interested. I'd rather it be right there. I can I can run that, but I can tweak the hell out of it. Wait, can I say hell on this? Yeah. OK, <laughs> I like to tweak the hell you out of sure things. Sure as hell can. <laughs> That's cool. See, with me, I I I need balance like I need. I run a game on one day of the week. I'm I'm very much into the world building part of the game I play. But then I also really I need a game where I'm a player character. Like I need that balance. Otherwise, I get antsy and want to do the other. But I love getting the modules. I get love getting the supplements to kind of expand the world. And I've honestly never really quite wrapped my head around how to run a module like it because it seems so structured. For players who might be more in my shoes or as a player, what kind of goes into running a game from a module, like a pre-prepared, like a Curse of Strahd? Um, I, I'd be curious to get your professional DM uh, thoughts on how, how, how do you you approach that? Like, how do I approach a single session or like the whole year long plan or things like yeah, that? Yeah, like, <laughs> like there's so many different aspects. That is true. That that was that was cruel of me. That was an incredibly open ended <laughs> question. Um, but no, like, do you take when you work a guide, do you use it more as a template where you have like big story beats that you want to hit? Or is it better to kind of stick very closely? I don't want to say rigidly because... I feel like nothing in tabletop RPGs is rigid per se, but do you approach it as being a very map? You do this on one session, you do once you do that, you're at this, or is it more of a, a general roadmap for you as in your approach? So, okay. So using curse of Strahd as an example, because I've run that one a lot. Um, like the first few sessions will have kind of a structure to help them get into the main quest hook. But that campaign, and I think one of the reasons it's so successful as a campaign is that it is a sandbox. Mm-hmm. So after a certain point, like, um, uh, am I allowed to give spoilers yeah. on here? Should I just add a risk? Yeah. Okay. Spoilers for curse of Strahd. <laughs> so, you know, you get them through, uh, you know, Death House, which is uh, totally optional. I do that as like bonus stuff usually. Uh, and then you have to get them from point A to point B. 
being like, you got to meet in in my story, they've got to meet Irina and get their quest hook from her to go save her little brother. Right. It's total. That's different from the original. And uh, and then you get them to, you know, the the fortune teller in Serpool encampment and then up to Velaki. And that for me, every time I've run it has been pretty consistent um, although I don't, I try really hard not to railroad. I just, um, I just make the options to follow that mm. very enticing, uh, while throwing in other little options in here and there, like little tiny side encounters so that it feels more random. And then from there, they honestly decide what to do. And I just have to know the entire rest of the campaign and how to run all the NPCs so that I can be prepared mm-hmm. for what choices they're going to make. With having run Curse of Strahd so many times, or or these modules frequently with multiple groups, how like how divergent would you say like groups can be like with these set in stone or like with these pre constructed modules? Do you see a lot of deviation in how players tackle things? Or absolutely, a hundred percent. What are some of the most, I guess, creative solutions your players have come up with before? Uh, well, I have one group, uh, an, an off-screen group that I run for, and they're in Velaki currently. And rather than, you know, going to the Wachter house to try and find their tome that they need to find, uh, they've decided to seek refuge in the sewers underneath the Lockie. And in my mind, I'm like, well, there are no sewers, but they were insistent that there are sewers and they're going to go hide in there. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to tell you, no, it's your mm-hmm. game just as much as it's mine more yeah. so. Right. So so they're down in the sewers. And I was like, well, I didn't plan for anything down here because it's not supposed to exist. So I'm like, what can I just look flipped through Van Richten's guide and threw yeah. in a body taker plant? Oh, cool. so. They're going to have to fight with one of those for the next session until they they <laughs> move on out of there. I'll probably have it lead mm-hmm. into like the the cultist basement at Walker House or something. I feel like that would be a pretty good transition to get them to where I I want them to go, but make it feel like it was their choice. Oh, yeah. Cultists always have like emergency escape groups into the sewers anyway. Yeah, you know, right. Totally. It's like cultist 101. <laughs> Duh. But no, that's really cool. And. One of the things I love about being a DM is having to make those shifts on the fly and coming up with these. I feel like DMs almost have to be more creative than the players just because there's so many there's like limitless possibilities of what you might be forced to come up with on the fly. And I love that about DMing. It is an adrenaline rush, and I'm an adrenaline junkie, so I think that's why I enjoy DMing so mm-hmm. much. It really is. And being able to ma- maintain that calm facade, it's like, oh, I anticipated you to do this random thing that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Being super chill about it, and it's like, oh, yeah, you get down there, and, you know, the the the, the trap mm-hmm. door that we made up on the spot closes behind you suddenly, and... Mm-hmm. You can't seem to open it back up. Uh, you notice some movement out of the corner of your eye at the bottom of this tunnel. You know, just mm-hmm. like, like that wasn't supposed to be there. Just going to throw it in. And they're like, oh, God, what did we do? And <laughs> secretly, you're just like, I have no idea what you've done because I haven't thought of it yet. Give me a moment. <laughs> I'm going to continue to describe these sewers in great, great detail as I come up with something. 
Exactly. The rocks' walls are so rocky, and they're <laughs> moss-covered, and the moss is a slightly luminescent green, and... Oh, and when you reach out to touch it, uh, oh, there is something sticky and crimson on your hands. Why? Oh, oh, oh it, you, you're suddenly <laughs> stricken by panic, and you're knocked out. Oh, I guess we're going to have to call it here for tonight. Um... <laughs> So next week we're going to you're going to be diving into these sewers. Yep, and then I spend a week going, "Okay, how best to play the body taker plant?" Yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh <laughs> So with I guess how did you get into with being excuse me, newer to newish or not as I don't know. You don't have as long of a history with the hobby. Oh, how did you get into wanting to DM professionally? Uh, you know what? That's a good question. Okay, so I have to think about that for a second. So okay. so remember, just think about the environment. <laughs> so the walls, they're very rocky, luminescent moss. <laughs> uh, the carpet, extra fluffy today. You don't know why. <laughs> so, okay, so... One of my things is I am a real life bard and I have half proficiency in everything. I have this special magical brain ability called hyper focus at the detriment of everything else in my life. And when I got into D&D, I got into it so violently that, you know, most of my therapy sessions revolved mm-hmm. around my D&D hobby. And just, I don't, you know, when... um when COVID started hitting everything, I was like, well, I need to start working at home. And I don't know where everyone's getting used to the Zoom thing. And I think I'm just going to I'm just going to try it. I'm just mm-hmm. going to throw my hat in the ring and and see if I can make money on this. Because previously I'd worked for like not worked for. I'd volunteered mm-hmm. for like the library system and D&D sessions at the the school district where I work now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a hit. And so then I was like, well, can I actually run workshops and things for this? And they're like, yeah. And of course, it was wildly popular. So now that's what I make a living on. That's so cool. And kind of uh, you touching on your therapy sessions involving or being ta- like you talking about D&D and the, how working with your school district, the school district and stuff for D&D. We've had like our one of our previous guests. uh Miss Mindykins, like she runs D and D in her school, like she's a dungeon master for her school, and it's so cool to see that schools and communities adopt Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop RPGs for students to kind of explore and just have fun with things. It's such it's such a change from what we grew up with. With D and D is the devil, and you're going to hell if you play it. To <laughs> It's therapeutic. It's beneficial. There are clubs. Let's let's get our libraries and our schools to host it. And it's such a change. And I love to see it. And it's so cool that you've that's how you kind of got your your start, especially like with the your school district and everything. Yeah, absolutely. And there are still families within the school that I work with that are like, oh, I can't believe they're offering this. This shouldn't be a thing. And but, you know, Mm -hmm. the administration and everybody else is like, no, this is clearly very good for the kids. Yeah, (laughs) we're keeping it. (laughs) I know with um, like when COVID really got started last year, 
my and I've mentioned this in previous episodes, my Dungeons and Dragons nights with my friends over Roll20 in Discord, that was my like my my rock. Like I gauged my week by when I was playing Dungeons and Dragons, and that was the thing I got to look forward to. Yes. And it was such yeah. it was such an important rock. <laughs> To have. Yeah, I I feel like that's kind of what kickstarted things for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because even even like the families that I I ran D and D for the kids during the school year when summer hit, they were like, like shut up and take my money, please. My kid can't like go outside and play and stuff mm-hmm. this summer. Please let them like socialize on Zoom mm-hmm. through this medium. And I'm like, absolutely, I'm here for you. Yeah. So what's kind of the age group, I guess, of players that you've run games for? Or do you primarily stick with more uh, like older players, like high school players or after? Or are you more of a fan of helping run kids through like their first D&D sessions and stuff? I do a mix of all of it. So I run for as young as eight years old. My my general kind of rule is you need to be able to... um to read the content at least with like your adult's help on the other side of the camera mm-hmm. um because it's super hard to teach younger like teach that otherwise over zoom mm-hmm. uh but in person i mean i've got a four-year-old son who knows D, so yeah i i also run it for <laughs> my little <laughs> kids anyways so cool um but I do, I run a lot of sessions for teenagers, and that is my favorite group in the entire world. Um, very, I feel like, so running for little kids, like 8 to 10, 11 age, and running for adults is a very, very similar experience, surprisingly. Hmm. Um, but running for teenagers is its own separate experience. Um, they're just really, really into it, and very very passionate about it and they're the ones that come with 10 page backstories ready to go Mm -hmm. and we can't get through any content because they're role playing with each other the entire time and it just it's my favorite that's really interesting teenagers rock (laughs) yeah (laughs) teens are the best you would almost think it would be the opposite like they would be kind of the not i guess not the most shy but Kind of the more, I don't know, I guess I'm I'm just this. Well, the the younger kids would be like, oh, I'm a spaceman fighter and I use swords and all these things and these wacky backstories. <laughs> That's really interesting. That's more the teenagers that have the big backstory and the role, the heavy role playing aspect. Yeah, well, I mean, I do get the young kids that come in and they're they're Batman or one kid wanted to play a ground worm. And so we had to create a groundworm race for them to play. And it was it was wild. But uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. my teenagers, they're the ones that uh, they don't they don't bring like those those more silly type characters, mm-hmm. but they bring ones that they really, really thought through, probably maybe inspired by a teen novel series yeah. or something like that. But they're already extremely invested. That's cool. So you mentioned this, and I want to kind of follow up on it because it sounds interesting. You're a real life bard. <laughs> Please tell me more. Well, you know, like I said, the half proficiency and everything. I get interested in something, and I I spend you know a mm-hmm. 
a night up till four or five in the morning learning about it. And then and then just, you know, I'm, able, I'm like, hey, look, a new skill for my resume. <laughs> so I don't I don't do the singing. I mean, unless you count screaming Broadway uh, in my house. But, you know, I don't share that with anyone but my children. <laughs> of course. Of course. What's your what's your go to show? Oh, my God. I cannot. How am I supposed to pick? Oh, my God. What? OK, Um. better. What's your current go to? My current go to is a combination of Sweeney Todd, Chicago and Hairspray. I would I would love to see a uh, performance that incorporates all those into a single show. <laughs> like, I mean, Sweeney Todd's a barber. That's your link with hairspray. <laughs> I mean, there's potential. I haven't seen Chicago, but I mean, hell, they could he could be doing hair and the hairspray stuff in Chicago. Boom. There you go. Oh, my God. And Matilda. <gasps> Matilda's. My, no, I, I lied. Matilda's my favorite. Very nice. And in this <laughs> magical production that also now magically in encumber or in count includes, excuse me, can't talk. Matilda uh, Sweeney Todd is this, in this performance is portrayed by a young elementary school girl with psychic powers. Yes. And she controls her scissors uh, with her psychic <laughs> powers as she's preparing people to go to the prom in hairspray. She's she's killing off her competition for prom queen and stuff. No, no, no. Killing off the negligent parents. There you go. I love yes. it. Yes. <laughs> and all of this is happening in Chicago. <laughs> Done. Boom. Wait. You know, we just make a D and D session. Yeah, I was gonna say this could easily be a really good, uh, like one shot or like a mini mini show, like a mini shot. Oh God. I'm not saying I can like. I mean, the rights are available, wizards. You just Broadway D and D. I like it. It's only a matter of time before Broadway does a D and D play. (laughs) That'd be amazing. Has to be a musical. Yelp. And has to have like a big number with a giant dragon head. Yes. You know, <laughs> got to have an illithid. You got to have a guy with like the squid tentacles. And a romantic scene between two beholders. Oh, no, For, a bard and a beholder. It would be the bard. <laughs> They're forbidden love. <laughs> Where one lives in Chicago, the other is in Jersey. <laughs> I can, I'm already getting emotional thinking about it. <laughs> oh, that got weird quick. I love it. As any good D&D campaign should. That is true. The weird stuff and the crazy things that happen are what make D&D campaigns so special, I think. Yeah, which There's going back memories. to you talking about prepping modules, it's not the the module content that makes the session. It's the fact that I took these kids mm-hmm. into the Red Brand hideout of Lost Mine of Fandelver, and one of them asked so desperately if one of the barrels was full of frogs, like like salted frogs. And I'm like, yep, they are. And so they they magically brought all of them back to life and now have a frog army following them everywhere. I mean, that sounds like a pretty damn good backstory for a Swarm Keeper Ranger. 
<laughs> Resurrected salted frog army. <laughs> yep. Yep. Sign Not up. in the module at all, but definitely the most important part of that campaign. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what like when what are some not necessarily the curse of Strahd or what have you, but is there a moment that has struck you for like that you will always remember or take with you? Like, I can't believe my characters thought of that or something that you thought of that you'll just always associate with being a dungeon master. Um, oh, man, like thinking over. Uh, so something amazing they did or just something really funny that happened? <laughs> we'll go with something funny. We'll we'll narrow it down a bit. Uh, so I, I, I've told this story before somewhere else. So apologies if anyone has heard it previously, but it's my favorite. Um, it so we were doing a, this one teen group. I run for they went down into the basement of the shop and there was like a fight club where you could make money if you win fight and everybody could fight each other and nobody was going to have permanent damage or anything. You know, you get it all mm -hmm. back at the end of the round um, just to give them some combat practice because I couldn't get this group right. to kill anything. They were just uh, acquiring pets. And so I was like, OK, fine, I'm going to have you fight each other. Um, so you know, this one kid, he wanted to do melee fighting and everyone else was a spellcaster. So I was like, okay, right, I'll pull in an NPC for them. Go ahead, hop into the ring and, mm -hmm. um, you know, your your opponent will will join you in the ring. And so so this he's the sweetest kid ever, by the way, he's in there. He, he's a monk. He's ready to, like, beat somebody up. And I send in my little 100, 143 year old halfling uh, character. She hobbles in on her little cane and, and hands over her cane and pulls off her glasses and hands them over to the announcer and, you know, cracks her knuckles. Mm -hmm. And, and he's like, ma'am, can I, can I help you? And, and she's like, oh, don't worry about it, Sonny. We're just going to do our fight and mm -hmm. I'm going to have some money to take home. And I hope you don't cry too much about it. And he's like, is this like a charity thing? And he's like, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't fight a little old lady. And so we rolled initiative. It was his turn first. And he's like, he like throws his hands up. He's like, I like we just adopted like cockroaches that were trying to kill us. I can't punch a little old lady. This mm -hmm. isn't happening. And so she's like, ah, shoot yourself. And it was her turn. She wild shaped into a dire wolf and attacked the crap out of him. And he's like, oh, I get it. Oh, OK, OK. And on with the fight. But it was like such a beautiful, hilarious <laughs> moment that I will cherish um, forever. <laughs> she pulled a Yoda. Just, <laughs> you don't expect it. It's those little ones, the little old ones that you really have to watch out for. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Damn. So from your your dungeon mastering experience, I'm curious I, I'm guess I'm assuming I guess you play the five E, correct? Oh yeah, I've never I've never tried any other edition before. What tools do you wish you had at your disposable, or like rules that you would like to see added for DM or like dungeon masters, game masters to use, or that you would like to use that just oh. don't exist right now? 
rules. Oh gosh. See, I don't even, I don't even know anymore what rules are actual rules and what ones I've made up because I didn't have them handy. I've just been in yeah. such a, I haven't actually read the book since I started. <laughs> I've, um, been, I've been playing years and I haven't read the book. It's like, uh, okay. I know the yeah, main I, roles. I don't know what's real and what's pretend in my head anymore. Um, okay. So not rule wise, but I would really love if they would change uh, spell levels to spell tiers. Okay. Because like it. it is so confusing. I teach, I teach people how to play D and D. Like mm-hmm. I at least one class at least every week teaching a new group how to play D&D. And it is so confusing to them that player level or that character levels do not match spell levels. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they're even they're all called levels. Why don't they call it something else? I'm like, I know, I know in a future edition, let's let's petition for them to call them spell tears instead. So I would that, love that. That would be good. <laughs> Have you ever tried like just in one of the classes, like have a test case, test class, be like, I'm just going to refer to them as spell tears and see how they how they're reciprocated or if that helps. Well, we kind of do do that. But when I'm teaching them, you know, all the basics, it's like, OK, mm-hmm. in the book, this is what it's called. If you're with another dungeon master, they're going to call it this. Oh, when you're looking at your your leveling table, this mm-hmm. is going to be what it's called. So I need you to like know really well that this is what it's called, but I will try to refer to it as tears instead while you're really getting the hang of how to play. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I like that, though. I hadn't thought of that, but as you mentioned, it's tears of spells and strength of like that makes sense. That makes Mm -hmm. a lot more sense than spell levels. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, swapping out the term race for something more like like lineage or ancestry mm-hmm. or something, which I think they're working on anyways. So, yay. Yeah, I, I I appreciate that a lot of like, especially with like the combat wheelchair and kind of that shift in working to dispel and get rid of kind of the racial pre like the racial stereotypes with a lot of them. Uh, I appreciate the the shift. It's a long time coming. Should have been done a long time ago, but at least they're doing it now and working that way. So I yeah I agree with you there. Um, what as a dungeon master, what is your like preferred level to start people out at? Like, do you like three? Do you prefer when three? <laughs> it's Easy a good answer. One. Yep. Yeah. Right there. Level with one you. and two are the worst. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like at level three, at least then people can choose their specialization and they have some things they do. I completely am with you there. Three is a yep. really good starting off level. Now, with new players, I always start them at one so that they mm-hmm. can because it's more about like scaffolding their their knowledge of yeah. how to play their character. So when you start them at one, then they, they get a little more information in a couple weeks and then a little bit more in a couple weeks. And instead of like all this stuff, but anybody who is not a brand new player, they're like, please don't make me start at one. I'm like three. Mm -hmm. We can all accept three. Is that good? Three. Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I, I, the level three, I is the perfect level because you do have that. It's not an overwhelming amount of stuff they have to figure out and like learn in terms of skills or spells or things like that, but they have enough that they can kind of customize and work into their backstory. Um, yeah. Level three is good. 
all three is real good. <laughs> I'm curious with with you having a lot of experience running modules. What's kind of your do you have a a method or like what's your inspiration? Like when you need to, let's say, come up with a, a dungeon that you weren't expecting or an encounter you weren't expecting. What's your kind of like go to method for like inspiration and coming up with things to to run next session? Um, how do you inspire yourself? I guess. So with so when it, they've gone completely off what I have, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're coming up with something uh, homebrew, I know you say you don't do too much world building or uh, and stuff, but if you're doing something off off path, off book. I check out DMs Guild or RPG drive through yeah. I'll kind of search a keyword for for something or I'll take a like a one shot that I know really well and completely revamp it. So there's, um, you know, I, I, I like to run like fairs, like little carnivals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And there was a session in my Neverland campaign, which turned out I had to kind of I had to build the story there anyways, because they just provided the world. Um, so I was like, OK, they want to do like some sort of event. I've run this carnival campaign before, so I'm just going to sit down and and look over, you know, that campaign itself. And I'm going to turn it into like an oceanic mermaid version of that. And so just taking something that's already there, the bones are there and then reworking it to fit the theme or the location or that kind of thing. So I I love looking up one shots, um, buying buying people's stuff on DMs Guild. Sometimes if there's nothing I feel like will fit, I'll just, you know, I'll watch a movie. I'll, I'll find yeah. a movie within the genre I need and I'll watch it and I'll pull ideas from that and then I'll sit down and and write from that. <laughs> cool. Do you have any recommendations for good one shots or uh, resources that you think DMs uh, might be interested or should check out? Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I'll have to check my DMs guild account here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what any of them are called because I just take them and throw them into random no. campaigns. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Lost in Shadow is not a one shot, but it is pretty dang good. It's a Shadowfell version of Lost Mine of Fandelver. And I really appreciate that because I don't like high fantasy mm-hmm. and I love horror. So I was when I saw that, I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, let's see. Uh, there's so there's this one. OK, this one that I really, really like called A Botanical Guide to Barovia. Hold on. Let me. Let me get the author's oh. name. Um, Brassic Arts. Uh, it's on DMs Guild. They have a one shot in this guide. And I ran mm-hmm. it for a bonus episode of She is the Ancient, uh, adding in some more, you know, like Guillermo del Toro elements and uh, mm-hmm. some of the like, you know, some creepy. I, I added in a bunch to it to give like the feel I was wanting. But like the bones of this one shot are freaking fantastic. Uh, highly recommended. Very cool. And uh, perfect segue. Tell me about your She's the Ancient uh, gender bent Strahd book and everything uh, that you've recently published and that you run a game for. Tell me about the game you're running. Um, Yeah, so it's Curse of Strahd, but, you know, all the NPCs are gender bent. Most of them, at first, when I started running it, the first few play tests, they were just purely gender bent and nothing was changed, which made the storyline absolutely ridiculous. 
And some people thought it was funny. Some people were really annoyed at these, you know, ridiculous, helpless male characters. And I was like, isn't it funny how when you just swap it, it suddenly becomes ridiculous? Why wasn't anybody seeing it as ridiculous before? Um, (laughs) So it's more there's still a lot more women in this version of the story. I'd say it's like 85 Mm percent women. Um, But I did go ahead and keep some of the men in there. Uh, (laughs) So it's (laughs) mostly gender bent. And I had to go in and change a lot of the story to make it make sense to those changes. Um, To not just that, but, you know, the big things I wanted to change were the sexism, the targeted violence against women and children. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ableism. Uh, ableist terms, things like that. Uh, there is some serious um, race racism issues in the original. And so I was like, let's fix everything while we're at it. And that is that's so then I just kind of wrote down my thoughts and, and added lots of artwork and <laughs> and thought maybe, hey, this would be useful for someone if they wanted to try it. So that's what happened. <laughs> How long was that process for you? The playtesting itself, uh, I've been doing since I started D&D. Because Curse of Strahd was the first campaign that I was really interested in. Because, you know, I was like that teen girl that was all into the vampire stuff. My favorite series growing up was Anne Rice's um, vampire series. Oh my gosh, I can't even remember it now. Wow, Uh, that was a while ago. Uh, So, yeah, I was immediately interested in Curse of Strahd and immediately was like, well, this isn't going to work. So I started started that process, I guess, several years ago now. And the book itself. um, (laughs) Don't judge me. (laughs) I (laughs) I sat down on August 1st to start turning it into a book and it published on August 30th, I believe. Wow. Yeah. I didn't see my family for a month, but um, but I got it done. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Holy moly. Holy crap. Like having looked through through it, I figured it a many month procedure. Oh, like, 30, it, 30 days getting... flat. Wow. Like I said, I hyper focus at the detriment of everything say, around me. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, that is some super mega hyper focus. That's in wow. <laughs> That's that's super impressive. Bravo. I did. I did commission the artwork far before then because I had planned to start it earlier, but I'm a Mm -hmm. procrastinator. And I was like, well, okay, Ginny D is like, hey, when are we going to put up the ad? And I'm like, can we do it on the last day of August instead of the beginning? And she's like, yeah, that works. So I'm like, cool. I guess I should write it now. (laughs) So. Wow. That's that's crazy impressive. Bravo on that. And tell me about a bit about the stream that you're doing with uh, She is the Ancient. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I thought that maybe doing some sort of stream to go with it would be a good way to promote the the whole. I mean, the intention was I wanted to promote the book. I've already run it a bunch of times, so I didn't really feel the need to run it again. But then the people I found to run it with are just amazing. And I'm like, well, (laughs) this worked out really well. I'm enjoying the crap out of them. Uh, And I was going to run it on my own Twitch channel, but I have no interest really in in running a Twitch channel. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I just want to play this game and I'd like it to be on Twitch. And 
uh, I happened to be making friends with DC Lasser at that time. And he's like, hey, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe if you were to pitch for Gilding Light, you know, uh, we would just we would produce it for you. And all you'd have to do is run it. And I'm like, are you serious? You'd be interested in this? And he's like, yeah. So, yeah, they they took me on. And then and then I started, you know, working as part of the Gilding Light team as well, mm-hmm. because we all just hit it off super, super well. So. Um, yeah, so for some reason, Satine Phoenix was like, yep, I okay this and go for it. And I'm like, thank you. So, yeah. How cool. <laughs> wow. Satine seems awesome. I'm. She's uh, amazing. We, uh, my fiance and I decided that we we're taking her, uh, Satine's quest cruise for our honeymoon next year. Oh, so we're my very excited about that. God, I'm so <laughs> jealous. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we put our deposit down a week or so ago, so we're very excited. Oh, it'll and, be amazing. Yeah. Well, the thing was, I had initially saw it just on a, a random retweet or something, so I retweeted and quote, I was like, oh, I might have to do this for my honeymoon. Satine, like, responded, and it's like, oh, if you do, that'd be so cool, we can work it into the campaign, your honeymoon. I was like, well... Now I have yeah. to. <laughs> well, hey, babe. And she's like, that sounds really cool. What sold her was the masquerade ball, to be to be fair, the masquerades. Um, but yeah, she my fiance plays in uh, the game I run. So she's very excited about the masquerade and being able to come up with a new character for this. Oh, group, so. oh sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of my thought process when I heard about it, too. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my gosh, we never had a honeymoon, babe. And and. Yeah, he looked at me. He's like, we also have four children. What would we do with the four children? (laughs) I'm like, okay, good point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would be that'd be some party management uh, (laughs) there that you'd have to work on. (laughs) So I'm curious with she is the ancient out now. Are there any other modules that you would be interested down the road? Maybe next month. Who knows? Uh, but like <laughs> that you would want to try and do something similar with or any other tabletop RPG systems that you'd be interested in trying out. So we've got a few in the works. I say we, cause my, my partner saw this whole process and was like, I want in. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we've got another one coming out in October. It's not going to be the same type of thing where we take a campaign and we revamp it. It's going to be, I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is, but it's going to be super exciting. I already recommissioned the same cover artist from She is the Ancient for the cover art for this one. And they're also wildly excited about it. Um, And then we've got a lot of like there's actually a series that we're going to start and it's going to kind of cover pretty much all the official uh, D&D publications that we're allowed to touch for DMs Guild. Oh, how cool. Well, I will anxiously await news on what goodies and things you have cooking. <laughs> but uh, but as always, I usually pose a question to the Internet about uh, for favorite memories or moments that they've experienced in their own tabletop RPG series. So we are going around the web. This time I asked the internet, what were some of the, what are your memories or some of the most intense or hilarious ways your party has wiped in a game? We had a couple submissions. 
First up, we have user Caladir from Reddit. They say, not really that funny, but one time we were a party of two, and we were both relatively new to D&D, so we were just exploring this tower that we found. As we find the stairs to go up to the next level, we hit a platform with a trap on it. My partner and I, walking abreast on the stairs, we both fail to save and are pushed off the side of the stairs, all the way down to the bottom. The dungeon master just called a TPK, and we started over. <laughs> yeah. Traps, man. They'll get you. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty brutal, uh, pretty brutal trap, and... Shame on the tower inventor who did not put handrails. <laughs> have you had any trap in your DMing history? Have you ever had a trap or something that performed almost like too well? Like you weren't <sighs> expecting such damage and destruction to cause to be caused by a seemingly innocuous trap or event? So. Okay, so there's two parts to this answer. <clears throat> Part number one is that because I work with kids, I actually have to fudge a lot because if I TPK them, it is a nightmare, like tears and angry parents. And it's it's kind of hilarious how much I have to like really cater. Uh, so mm-hmm. yes, I've had traps that should have killed them, but it's like, oh, you only took one point of piercing damage. Aren't you so lucky? And... uh However, I'm not so nice to my own kids. And I went ahead and... So my two older kids, they love D&D. They wanted to start Curse of Strahd, so I put them through Death House, which in itself is like one giant trap. Mm-hmm. And... Of course. So, yes, they TPK'd twice. Um, they decided when they were on, like, the second or third level of the house that, ooh, this this thing is... It's too much. It's, it's um... There's a lot going on here. We're going to just try to jump out the window. So they jumped out the window. And they took, like, full damage, dead immediately, and was like, well, you know, and then they're like, aw, you know, we're only, we're only, like, 40 minutes into playing. And I was like, okay, so the ground suddenly swallows you up. You feel so cold and damp as you get sucked into the ground and you wake up like, you know, I had them just go straight to the very end yeah. of Death House where they're in this chamber right with with all this water and the altar and everything mm-hmm. like that yeah and so they're like i was like and you're you're alive and i gave them you know some sort of dark gift you know like a forked tongue or something mm-hmm. so one of them stunk really bad and so they're alive again and then um my monster instead of the shambling mound i actually use a zombie beholder in in my my basement of death house and so the zombie Very beholder nice. appears yeah right it's creepy and and people love it um so it appears and they got so scared that they just they just died again they were just like i can't even i don't even know and then they everyone just died again i was like well are you sure you're ready for curse of strad you guys <laughs> you might want to reevaluate it think about it take some time to talk <laughs> Yeah. I, lo- I love that image, though, just like a party walking up to a zombie beholder, realizing their way out of their element, and then just like collapsing, like <laughs> <laughs> right. They're like I, falling on the ground. I jump into the water and drown myself. It's like, oh god, oh but, okay. Don't worry about it, beholder. I got it. <laughs> you uh, you just stay there. I'm just gonna hold my my head under the water here for a second. Nice meeting you, Barry. <laughs> Yeah, there's fight, there's flight, and then there's whatever the hell my kids did. <laughs> uh. Yep. 
self implosion. <laughs> uh, I would call that self implosion. It's like, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we haven't continued that campaign with them. Yeah. <laughs> well, probably. Probably a good idea. But I mean, we'll try. Th- but at the same time, <laughs> you could just like continue and then keep track of how many times they like just die. They brought that up. Like they thought it would be hilarious to keep going and like just keep track of how many times they die. I mean, it'd be pretty. Like it would turn a campaign on its head if you have a party who wants to die and just like get out and they're just not allowed. To. <laughs> oh God! What a beautiful concept. Oh, I know. Oh, I like that a lot. I mean, you kind of have that with Curse of Strahd because you can just come yeah. back with the dark gifts or whatever. But, but ooh, I don't know. Some like Groundhog's Day uh, Barovia stuff would be kind of amazing. I mean, a Curse of Strahd take of Santa Claus, who's just like every time they die, they like meet this old fat chubby Santa Stroud, who's just handing out more gifts. <laughs> And he just eventually gets very tired of handing out gifts. <laughs> and then, like, Barovia coal. <laughs> I'm, I'm bored with you. Here's some coal. <laughs> no more gifts. You only get ten. <laughs> I love it. It's like, oh, damn. I thought we really got out this time. <laughs> or, like, you, you make them think they got out. They're back in mm-hmm. Waterdeep or something. And then... You know, the, the end scene of the entire thing would be something really terrifying and Raven Lofty happening in, like, their yeah. their room before they go to bed or something. Every enemy just feels incredibly bad for them, so they don't want to mess with the party. So, like, they the enemies instead actively don't engage and try to not fight or kill <laughs> or injure the party. And the party is just egging them on. That would be such an interesting, like... Turn on its head. <laughs> oh, I love it. Your mother smells like old socks. <laughs> I'm not mad. You don't really mean that. You're just upset right now. <laughs> I'm gonna shrug that off. I have other beholder things to do. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, good times. Good times. Uh, Want to take the next one? The last one. Um. Yes. Wait. It's on the Google. It's on the Google Doc. It's on the Google Doc. Yep. Okay. I'm gonna go get that. Here, I I will post it. <laughs> our little Discord chat. Awesome. Okay. Yes. I will get the next one. Uh, at Nolan Nerdcast. I think I said that right. Uh, New Orleans, a nerd cast, I believe, is how many people Okay. Uh, on Twitter, says, There was this time that the rogue in our party tried to steal from a vendor that was a lot higher level than us, got caught, and thrust us all into battle. Yeah. I, I don't... I think this might also be a reference to something I pulled in our uh, Divinity game that we play as a group. So this might be referring to me stealing from the character, (laughs) or it might just be incredibly coincidental. But, uh, yeah, so things happen. (laughs) Sometimes rogues just gotta steal. Sticky hands. That's something, so that's something with my teenagers. I've had groups where they just go in and they just try to threaten or kill, like, the person selling armor and weapons and it's like oh are you sure because 
being a forever DM, all of my NPCs have full-fledged character sheets, and this is a level six fighter mm-hmm. NPC that you are dealing with. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? Yeah. Like, ha ha ha. Not me. <laughs> but yes, thank you to both of you for sending in your memories and TPK moments. We very much appreciate them. Now, um, because you have published a book uh, and a module that people can partake in, I'm wondering, where can people find this amazing product, Beth, if they want to buy it for themselves? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Uh, She is the Ancient, a gender-bent curse of Strahd, can be found on DM's Guild. Uh, I just type in, like, she is the Ancient, or go to the Ravenloft page. Um... I throw out the link. It's like bit.ly forward slash she is the ancient. If you want to make it super easy. Uh, yeah, that's that's where you can find it. So there you go. And just because it is an amazing product, I'm actually going to be giving away a copy of it to a lucky listener. What? All you have to, I know, right? Surprise. Uh, all you have to do, listener, is be sure to follow underscore at underscore RPG University, and then share your own uh, idea or what module you would like to see gender bent or changed in such a way. And I will be picking a winner on the October 7th episode where you can get your own copy of this amazing module to run with your own friends. So yay! be sure to get those in. <laughs> but yes, Beth, being a professional dungeon master, what advice would you have to folks or players or kids that think i would love to do this like what advice would you give or even to players that are interested in being a dungeon master not necessarily even in the professional sense okay wait so which question (laughs) no what what advice would you give to people that want to either get in to be a professional dungeon master or just be a dungeon master in general okay yeah they are pretty they're they're pretty much along the same lines, except for with the professional, you have to be, you know, 110% prepared instead of 90% prepared. But anybody wanting to get into being a dungeon master, um, I know it sounds really intimidating at first. Uh, just do it and it's going to feel really weird. And uh, once you keep doing it and you've done it 100 times, then you'll start to feel comfortable with it. So. <laughs> uh yeah just funny enough that (laughs) advice can also be applied to many things um including uh that are inappropriate for this podcast (laughs) it'll feel weird just do it after doing it a hundred times you'll get comfortable with it oh god no (laughs) i mean that's what you said (laughs) okay let me try that again no (laughs) i I like it i mean it works i'm just saying See, I like this, Beth. You you phrase it in such a way it could be applied to so many life skills. <laughs> so you're just, you know. It, it is. PCM, it's just another life skill. for lots of things. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is. It's just another life skill. There's there's nothing different yeah. about wanting to be a decent DM and wanting to be a, di- a decent artist, right? Like, it's going right. to be wonky at first, but you have to keep doing it. You just keep keep practicing and it it absolutely like you will get so much more comfortable exactly exactly rules to live by everybody whether you want to be a dm or a dungeon master (laughs) 
So next up, we get to one of my favorite parts of each of these tabletop uh, episodes, getting classy or racy segments. So Beth, are we going to get classy or racy tonight? Oh, God. I don't know. I feel like I feel like you would hate my class idea. There's no hate. I've and- <laughs> done like hair metal bard before as a subclass. <laughs> um, we've done a we've done a bunch. So I promise it's all it's all the fun of it. So. So, OK, so how would I throw out both ideas and then you tell me? It's your choice. Because- <laughs> you, get to, you, you get to pick one. Uh, oh, God. Let's go, DM. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. What, Wait, what where are my are dice? Where are my dice? What path are we going down? Okay, we're going class, I guess. So you're going to hate it because it's cheating. Because I think that vampirism uh, should be a class. And, you know, I think they added it as a race option. You can be a dampire, right? But that doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. to me. Because Mm -hmm. unless it was added as a class. Oh, God, I haven't actually looked, really. Am I wrong Mm -hmm. on this? It's a race option, right? It's a race option. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't In make. In Van Richten's, they had they added it as like a us like a race feature. I think you could like kind of tack on. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. A, to a, a to a a lineage. Uh, yeah. It doesn't make sense to me because you know, um, any which I any race could be. I mean, any any vampire could be any race, right? So you're in Curse of Strahd, mm-hmm. a tiefling gets gets bitten then they're a vampire spawn um could be an orc could be human whatever Mm -hmm. so i feel like you know race should be separate and um vampirism should be a class because it dictates how you interact with the world and your special skills and abilities uh things you know like your magic casting and your special features and traits it's all that's all on your your class so i yeah i just think vampirism should be a class cool okay and because, uh, you know, as a DM, you have to be quick on your toes and be able to adapt to various situations. We don't just come up with a class. We go, we get a little detailed in here. So we're going to plot out up to level five of this vampire class. So as any good class starts off, what hit, how many hit dice are we feeling like the vampire class would have? Let's see. I would say... I feel like they're kind of resilient. Vampires are pretty resilient. i say like a D8. D8. I like it. We'll go back. It feels D8. right. It just feels right. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, And now let's talk about the starting proficiencies. Uh, let's see. For armor, what are you feeling? Um, probably... Medium? Light and medium? I would say light and medium, but <clears throat> I feel like they wouldn't need armor if they didn't need it. They have like that that barbarian The uh, unarmored mastery or whatever. I, yeah, because like they, they, they're about. supposed to be able to mm-hmm. regenerate and stuff, so that regeneration kind of feature would be uh, it would kind of play into this unarmored defense. Like, yeah, you stabbed me, yeah, but hey, I'm defense, better it. now. I like it. I like it. Um, weapons? Um, <laughs> javelins, no. Uh, <laughs> I like it. We'll just put javelins. Uh, People will be like, that's incredibly specific. Is it going to be simple? No. You can't be good with a stick or a sling or a sword. You're good at javelins. You're 
<laughs> the vamp vampirism turns out hyper focus class. <laughs> I was going to say also jewel-encrusted daggers, but yeah, I almost think that maybe just one random thing. It's like the ultimate spike. No, I love that jewel-encrusted dagger is so (laughs) hyper-focused, it has to be. Like, it can't just be a simple dagger. It has to be a jewel-encrusted dagger. dagger. (laughs) Otherwise, it's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Why are you giving me this? I have no idea what I'm doing. I like it. I don't even know what the stats for a jewel encrusted dagger are. So, I mean, what about a boomerang? It's kind of like a bat that comes <laughs> back to you. You know, yeah, we'll go with that. So, it's like, what's that? What's that flying around in the sky? Oh, ha, ha. <laughs> a boomerang! I never suspect a boomerang. <laughs> Curses. <laughs> I was expecting a jewel-encrusted dagger. I wasn't expecting a boomerang. Damn it. This is why I'll never get hired by Wizards of the Coast. No, this is why we, you will. Like, that's the thing. All these will get published on, like, my D&D Beyond, like, homebrew content. Like, we have Gelatinous Cube. We have the Hard Rocker. We have a, um, a Zorbo. Uh, like, the little evil koala. So, like, yeah, these people can use these, and it'll be great. I just, you'll just have to find very specially uh, specialized town keeps that sell javelins, <laughs> jewel-encrusted daggers, and boomerangs. <laughs> I think you should include one of those townsfolk that's just a boomerang seller in Barovia. Oh my gosh. I think that, and, of course, he would have to talk with like a Barovian Australian accent. It's like, good day, mate. <laughs> Suck any blood lately. <laughs> what a boomerang. <laughs> it's it's nice silver tipped. Silver tipped boomerang, good against those werewolves. <laughs> That's not a boomerang. This is a boomerang. <laughs> we also have some nice javelins. <laughs> we hear you lot javelins. <laughs> they gotta be made of wood. They're wooden javelins. It's like like insult yep. to injury. Like this this can kill me, but I'm gonna kill other things with it. I'm so spiteful. <laughs> I use my own weapon, my own weakness. <laughs> no one will ever think to steal the javelin from me and use it on me. <laughs> I would never keep my own weakness so close to me. You know, it's like hiding in plain sight. It's like, oh, it's a vampire that's not affected against stakes to the heart. Clearly because he's carrying a giant stake in his hand. <laughs> I am Lovely. so going like, to give like my Strahd these items yeah. <laughs> in the big boss battle. You have vanquished Strahd of Barovia. You have freed the townsfolk. On his body you find a wooden javelin, <laughs> a jewel-encrusted dagger, <laughs> and a boomerang, and a, silver, and a silver-tipped boomerang. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> You have won. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love those really specific weapons. Uh, saving throws, what do we think vamp- vampires should should have? Constitution, for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Dexterity. Um, 
I get how many savings throws do we get again? Two. Just the two. Yeah, yeah. Just the dose. Wisdom, intelligence, charisma, dexterity, strength. Oh god. So I would say dexterity because they can turn into a bat. Yeah. And you have to figure with being experts of the boomerang and javelin, they have to be good at range. range. Yes, absolutely. But also constitution because they're undead. Ooh, indeed. Uh, Let's see. What are two skills that they can pick from when they take the vampirism? Uh, Let's see. Maybe history, because they've lived a really long time? Yeah. I feel like that makes sense. Mm. Acrobatics? (laughs) It has bat in it. (laughs) Acrobatics? It has to happen. Acrobatics. Yep. Yeah, I'm, you know, just for emphasis, I'm going to capitalize the bat part. We don't shy away from puns here at RPG University, as I'm sure you've noticed. They are wonderful and should be protected. Excellent. Intimidation, I think, would be a good one. Yeah, intimidation. How many of these do we get to pick again? Uh, It's just kind of a list, and then the player would pick two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. I See, again, I don't don't play as often, so I don't get to do the whole player building thing as much. Um... So yeah, intimidation probably sleight of hand. Yeah, or I like it. survival. Maybe isn't survival more like the wilderness stuff? I feel like a vampire is going to be like, hey, now that I'm a vampire, I need like my castle, and I need my servants, and I need my plush pillows, and I just feel like they'd be really bad at being out in the wilderness after all that luxury. That's true. Um, perception? I feel like they would be pretty perceptive of things around them. Yeah, perception. Hmm. I like that. We have acrobatics, history, intimidation, perception, sleight of hand, uh, perception again, because... Oh god, animal handling. Animal handling. Animal handling. They're like commanders of bats and wolves and and stuff. And resurrected salt frogs. And resurrected salt frogs. Yep. I mean, you could probably stick some frogs on a boomerang and chuck them. I'm just saying. (laughs) Okay, so the kid that has the frog army also only uses a boomerang as a weapon. And mm-hmm. so he has lined his boomerang with these salted frog companions and flung them so that the weapon could do damage. And then he could also roll damage attacks for all five of the frogs that hit the person as well. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm a oh. really nice DM. Sounds like that sounds <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you had to call it the frogerang. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, so we have, for the starting proficiencies, we have the weapons, saving throws. Now let's get to the first couple levels. We mentioned unarmored defense. That's a good one. Um, I feel like you kind of touched on this. They're really good at healing, so I feel like they should have something that heals them. Maybe like a D4 turn or something, or like yeah. unnatural healing as a as a player i would say 
probably nothing as fancy as like a full vampire kind of thing, but yeah, at mm-hmm. least like a D4 of healing at the start of each round or, or something like that. As long as they're not in running water or mm-hmm. um, attacked with their own wooden javelin. I love, I love that. <laughs> when not or in sunlight. Oh, see, that's another reason why survival would be a no-go is because they can't even, like, be around water. Like, that's how much of an indoorsy person they are now that they're a vampire. I almost would say that, be like, knowing how to survive without being around running water would also be a skill, though. Oh, maybe maybe I see survival as too much like Crocodile Dundee. Like, No, that's the shopkeep that sells the (laughs) limericks. Um, and sunlight around running water. Okay, perfect. Unnatural healing. Um, I kind of like the idea that they would maybe have like an action action surge. Oh yeah. Um, or like that thing that that orcs half orcs get right, where which is like the same thing, right? You hit you hit zero hit points, and rather like when they die, they don't. Yeah, yeah at like once per long rest or something they come back with a single hit point action surge is when you get an extra turn or like you get an you can take another action but i like the uh on like the revival thing that's that fits better i think when when you're reduced to or when you're knocked out you're instead brought back to one And then they get to like, mm-hmm. like that's when the action surge hits. Like when they when they hit yeah. zero, they get brought back to one, and then they get like that bonus action. Yeah. Can take a bonus action. I like. It. Uh, we'll say, we'll just say a vampire archetype. We we're not figuring out what the subclasses or things of vampirism here are today. Just that uh, they exist. Um, fourth would be ability score improvement, and say five maybe, um, fang bite or being like draining the life force, like necrotic bite or something. Being able to oh yes. Let's see what would be a cool way to cool thing to like draining bite. Drain. <laughs> I feel like we're just taking all of the like Dampier race stuff and like yes now it is also class stuff because like I think that they have a name for it but yeah essentially you 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 bite and you get the hit points that you suck okay there's like an official name for it. I can't remember what it is I haven't looked too deeply in these so props on <laughs> us for having the same ideas as wizards I'll see another reason why we should be hired well, and I haven't I haven't looked over the damn pure yeah. stuff. I'm more thinking of like the vampire stat block itself because yeah. I do run with those a lot. Oh, that's true. Um, you would. <laughs> I'm cheating. I, I guess you. I guess that makes sense. But no, I like this. I think we have made the start of a wonderful vampire class. Now, just as a recap, the vampire class. If you want to play it yourself, they have one d eight hit dice per vampire level, so it's 1d8 plus your constitution modifier. They are proficient in light armor and medium armor, but really with their unarmored defense, you want them to uh, roll without any armor. 
They are incredibly proficient in the javelin, jewel-encrusted dagger, and boomerang only. They're not really good with tools because they don't want to dirty their claws and their their nails. Uh, their saving throws are constitution and dex and skills when you choose the vampire class. You can choose two from acrobat, ix, history, intimidation, perception, sleight of hand, and animal handling. At first level, you gain unarmored defense and an unnatural healing, which grants you 1d4 healing per turn when not in sunlight or around running water. At second level, you gain unnatural revival, which allows you, when you are knocked out, to be instead brought to one health or one hit point, and you can immediately take a bonus action. At third level, you gain access to a vampire archetype, which we aren't figuring out today. <laughs> Fourth level, you gain your ability score improvement. And fifth level is the uh, contextually distinct draining bite ability that is totally not like the skill that vampires stat block have. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, okay. But the archetypes have to literally be like like, um, like story archetypes. Like you've got your Twilight vampire, you've got your Anne Rice, you know, your Lestat vampire, okay. or you've got classic Dracula, or, uh, you know, um, oh god, Dark Shadows. Um, what's his name? Like Bartholomew. Oh, I'm getting it wrong. Oh, no, but, like, it has to be, like, archetyped after famous pop culture vampires. Okay. Uh, so, well, I'll call the, the Twilight version the Sparkle Fang. Yes! Uh, uh, Nosferatu <laughs> will be... The Bunny uh, Fang, Bunny Fang. Bunny Fang. <laughs> and the other one will be... Hmm. Oh, Oh, are we talking about Lestat? Oh no! Whatever uh, you want. Um, the the uh uh. Let's go, DM. We're going into the sewers. You weren't accounting for New Orleans Fang. I um. Oh no! Sure, we'll go with it. Nope, we're going with it. <laughs> New Orleans, <laughs> New Orleans Fang doesn't tell you anything about the kind of vampire you're gonna play. Okay, you're good at making Creole. Sweet. Uh, which is really bad because New Orleans really likes to use garlic in their cooking. But you know what? Screw it. You're a New Orleans fang vampire. Cool. I like it. You New Orleans fang vampire with your your boomerang and your jewel-encrusted dagger. You're rocking it. Man, New Orleans vampire with a jewel-encrusted dagger at Mardi Gras. Dang. <laughs> Getting some beads. Anyway, with that, that is going to do it for another episode of RPG University. Beth, thank you so much for joining me this evening. It has been such a blast. Thank you for having me. Where can people find you online? What do you have cooking? Go ahead and plug your stuff away. Uh, yeah, you can find me like on any of the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is you actually use. Uh, it's the, you know, at it's Beth the Bard. I'm mostly on Twitter. I'm also on Discord, uh, but I love hanging out and talking and stuff. So, yeah, like hit me up. Um, I also have a website, BethTheBard.com, where I, I try to keep it updated with everything I'm currently working on. So. Yeah, that's that's a good spot to to find <laughs> find whatever it is that's going on lately. 
And it sounds like you have a lot of cool stuff coming up. So be sure to follow her on all those platforms. And when is your live stream show of She's the Ancient? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I should definitely plug that. Um, So She is the Ancient is in season two currently. It it plays on Twitch TV forward slash Gilding Light every Tuesday from hold on. I know my times uh, five to seven p.m. Pacific time. Uh you can find lots of information about it at sheistheancient.com. I've got like all of the uh, first season videos on demand uh, plugged in there from Gilding Light's YouTube channel, as well as show notes and content warnings and information about the book and stuff like that. So that makes it really easy. Cool. Yes, definitely give that all a check out. It's a great time. It's a great show with great players and a great DM. But everybody... Thank you for tuning in and have listened to this episode. I very much appreciate it. As always, be sure to rate and review us on your preferred podcast service as I'd really like it. And of course, if you have an RPG you would like us to feature on an episode, tweet at underscore RPG University with the hashtag RPG University with your suggestion or share your favorite RPGs or tabletop memories directly with me on Twitter at SolidSnake120. Remember to enter yourself into a chance to win a copy of She's the Ancient. All you have to do is follow the Twitter and share what module you would love to see gender bent. And until next time, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, be kind to one another. May the dice rolls be forever in your favor. Class dismissed. <laughs>